Is Mick up yet? No. <laughs> no. How about right. Keith? <laughs> Fuck. How are we going to put this goddamn thing together? <laughs> Just go put his hands on the guitar. We'll That's right. We'll, we'll tell got. him he played. <laughs> This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Fasolo and Kirik McMillan. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Two Idiots and a List, broadcasting at you from the Circle Avenue Studios on a rainy Friday afternoon. Hey, before we begin, quick shout out to uh, those Redditors who called me on an error during the Doors podcast. This is not a scripted podcast, folks. We are looking at some notes, but they were correct. The Doors had six studio albums, not five. My apologies. My apologies. <laughs> for, for the record, as soon as you said five albums, I'm like, it was six, man. <laughs> Goddamn Redditors fucking all over it. Ooh, they, they got far up my rear end. So, Well, be, before we get started also, uh, we, uh, we're, we're looking at the data coming in from our, our podcast host. And uh, we, again, want to shout out to everybody. Like We have f- over 1,500 listens and nine podcasts yep. and like something like 40 different countries and 37 different states and like smallest towns. Uh, you know, we really, really appreciate all the support and the, it's really cool. It's been a lot of fun. The weather today is, uh, they must have knew what we were doing today, um, because the band today is very much like the weather outside. It's dreary, it's dark, it's rainy. They're a, a seminal band from Seattle. Um, we, of course, are talking about Allison Chains. This band for me was a really, really, I don't know if I'd say, I guess I could call it important. It was an important band for me in college. Yes. When I was in the mood to, to get into kind of trippy music, I would listen to The Doors. And when I was feeling a little more aggressive about life or whatever else was going on, Alice in Chains fit that bill to a T. Perfectly, perfectly. And perfectly. it hit us. At the exact right moment in our lives, right? 21, 22, 23 in college. Yeah. You know, going through all different types. Of, the, the, the world sometimes turned, seemed turned upside down for us. And I, I noticed at the same thing. I was like, this is on the same time as the doors. Like, my whole doors phase and, like, dirt and jar of flies. And they all came at the same time. And I yeah. remember, like, that was the balance. Like, either the doors or it was Alice in Chains. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. It was a weird dichotomy for sure. I mean, Nirvana and Pearl Jam carried the day for, they carried the banner for most of that time, but it, for our group and for us, and I know you were at college in a different area, but, you know, you were also around a lot. Alice in Chains was like yeah. what we listened to. Like, oh, yeah. You know, all you know, the time. Pearl Jam's 10 was a big deal for mm-hmm. everybody, and it was sure. a big deal for me too, but for me, Dirt by Alice in Chains eclipsed 10 by far. Mm-hmm. I really dug into that album in a huge way. And, yeah. and it had a big effect on on my musical tastes. Uh, it was easily the heaviest band I've ever listened to in real earnest. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so our childhood friend, Tony, he's the first guy that I remember having Alice in Chains. And I remember being in his basement and picking up Facelift. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Because he also had in his collection like Danzig and other things yeah. like that. And he, he had a, a sparkling collection of, of music. He's like, you should, they're really good. You should you should listen to them. And by that time, I had been done taking my musical requests from Tony. <laughs> but like he was on Facelift early. Like he bought it early. I remember that. Right. I and I hadn't that. listened to it. You know, I saw Man in the Box and I'm like, eh, okay. 
I get it. It's fun. It looks, looks cool, crunchy. Um, so I didn't come back around to Facelift as a whole album until after Dirt. I Me too. Say. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Facelift was certainly a different vibe than Dirt. Oh, yes. Facelift was much more of a metal-based album, uh, much more of a metal groove than what Dirt did, which was far more along the lines of the Soundgardens and Nirvanas of the world at that time. Yeah. And yeah, Ozzy himself has facelift as one of his top 10 metal albums of all time. I could see that. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. And, you know, those guys toured a lot under that metal umbrella. Yeah. I never thought of them as metal. For me, they never f- sort of checked that box. No. Now, as I listened for this, I went, wow, th- there was a lot of metal in that first album. And it's I wasn't a big metal guy. The, the, I'm not a metal guy either. I think the the, the metal I go is Metallica. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I don't even fuck with Megadeth. No, and I'm not even that big of a Metallica guy, frankly. I, I like some of their stuff, but it was never like a go-to for me the way that this band was. Right, and so the thing that captures me about, especially Dirt, and then you go back and listen to Facelift, and you go and listen to all of their songs, like the lyrics really wrap you oh, in, and huge. because the lyrics are so descriptive and they're so fucking dark, yeah. to like. True metalheads, it's probably not really shocking to them that, like, you could sing songs about stuff like that. You know, you're talking about bands like, you know, Charred Walls of the Damned and stuff like that. It's like, you know, there is heavier stuff out there for sure. But for me, for us, for people who are not into metal as much, this stuff is like, oh. Oh, it's super broody. Super broody. It's not Pearl Jam. Broody kind of downplays the the subject matter of, of especially Dirt, but a lot of their stuff. It's, it's orbiting around addiction with with what happened to Lane Staley and mm-hmm. his ultimate demise. Um, tragic story, really tragic. And Mike Starr. And Mike Starr. And the whole band was was surrounded by it. Was on, and they yeah. were on it too. Cantrell has sp- spoken multiple times yeah. about his substance abuse. The the themes of their albums are very clear. Yes. When you when you look at like when you listen to Facelift, Facelift is. I'm an addict and here's why, right? And you then listen to Sap, which was their four song EP. And we'll mm-hmm. come back around to this, but Sap is like, I'm an addict and here's what it's done to my relationships. Here's the cost right. of being an addict. Right. And Dirt is like, I'm an addict and I don't want to be an addict. Right. I'm that's, an addict. That's and everything that I drew out of that album is this is killing me. Exactly. It's killing me physically and it's killing me emotionally. It's like it, you have it exactly. That's almost what I have written down here. It's like I'm an addict and this is not going the way I planned no. at all. No. And then the last one, Jar of Flies, is like I'm an addict and it's all my fault. Yeah. Like yeah. it's a bummer to listen to that. It's like – and it's total isolation. Yes. And that's – unfortunately, that's the way you know he – he went down that path. And in one of Staley's interviews, Lane Staley was the the lead vocalist who uh, was heavily, heavily addicted. In one of his interviews, shortly before he died, he was describing his life and he said, I'm in constant pain. Uh, I, I want to be I want to be done with this. I, I so wish I didn't have this in my life. And then he described uh, fans coming up to him. While he was on stage during shows and they would tap their forearm right. where you would inject yourself and then they would point at themselves and, and indicate to him that they too were on the drug. Yeah. And he said it crushed him because the last thing he wanted to do was romanticize yeah. heroin. And it's kind of what he did. Intentionally or not, there was something about this music that you can't make heroin look sexy, but to a 20 something year old that's listening to this pain and they're in some sort of pain themselves, uh-huh. it does sort of bring you around to a, a, just a very different look at things. And I think he had some unintended consequences with this. Yeah. And I, we've talked about this before of being, you know, in your twenties and having that indestructible and fuck you attitude yep. and bulletproof. also, you know, dealing with like adult kind of pressures and issues and you know and when you're in college um you do a lot of self-medicating too sure. and then this album comes along and you're like you don't get the backstory no like you don't understand like his day-to-day life you know as we can look at it now and you know um you know back in 91 or 92 when we were listening to this stuff it's not like you know we would scour through like his interviews like we just liked his music sure. because it you know as an, as any good music or music that means something to you it's like it speaks to you at some level it speaks to you and like that's all you need for now right. like for right now that's all i need i mean some of my my fondest memories memories of this album especially dirt 
being up at Northern and getting absolutely shithoused yes. on my own couch, just playing <laughs> Nintendo, listening to this. Uh, you know, it's it was it was this facelift. You know, uh, nine inch nails broken. Right. You know, all ten. those on ten yeah. and like Temple of Never Dog mind. in in the yeah. five CD changer and just playing Sid Meier's Sid Meier's Pirates on on <laughs> Nintendo and just getting totally housed on my couch. Yeah. It, you know, I'm like look back and I'm like, well, there's probably better things you could have done with your time. But what else are you supposed to do? Right. Like, One of know? my oddly strong memories of this album is your brother. Uh, mm-hmm. I had taken a year off of school because I needed to take a year off from school and I would come up and, and knock around with you guys on the weekend. And, you know, I, he'd come pick me up and we'd drive up to Northern. And I remember listening to this album cause it was about 40, 45 minutes from you know where mm-hmm. we live to Northern, Northern Illinois university. For those of you who are wondering what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> right. uh, and, and we'd roll on up there and listen to that album the whole way. And we'd, you know, we'd arrive ready to rock and roll. So yeah, this is it's tough music. It's it's super heavy. It's not something that I really listen to now anymore. This is not where I'm at in my musical tastes, but boy, or, did it or yeah, or in your life. Or in my life. You no, know? I don't have that kind of angst or anger or <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> instability. And uh That's see, I don't know if you had this experience. I was listening to this and I was like, I'd have to put it down and come back to it. And I was like, Oh man, okay. I mean, yeah, there were. I it flooded back the memories, yeah. right? And yeah. then, I'm, but I'm like, I, I reflect on all that. And I'm like, wow, what a different person I was yes. back in college, yes. and like where I am now. It's like this is still great, and these guys are great artists. But I would not seek this stuff out right no, now. I just can't. No, it's, it's so heavy. It's such a burden it's, to carry. It's so, it's so heavy. It's you, like, you could, whoa. you know, <laughs> this would have been something like you went from faithfully <laughs> drinking your uh, your sorrows away and then this, you got pissed off at it and then you started listening to yeah, Alice in Chains. This is not like lake music. No. <laughs> no. Let's go float around in the pontoon and listen to some right. Alice. Scary. It's like, like, what the fuck are we listening to? So um, the flood of music that we were, we enjoyed. We got really super lucky. We're not even talking about like the 80s, which is all like really stuff that people go back to and listen. It's like this 89 to 93? 94, 93, Holy yeah. Shit. It's a big snapshot of music. So this is this is 1992. Just as just just as like all the like maybe ten albums I picked out, and I I didn't even realize this. 1992, no doubt, their debut album came out. I didn't realize they were that old. I know, right? They were part of that whole scene. I'm not into ska though. I thought they did a pretty good job. They, they had were some, good. They had some good stuff. For poppy. Um, that was in March, and then you also have Arrested Development came out with their stuff. Um, Adrenalize, of course, dropped at the end of March. We all need that. L7 came out with their uh, third album, I want to say. But Pretend That, was that We're the, Dead. The Bricks Are Heavy album with Pretend That We're Dead. Yeah, those are cool. That, those are yeah. They were good. Check Your Head, The Beastie Boys, In Excess is Welcome to Wherever You Are. Uh, the Wallflowers also dropped their debut right? album. Uh, Jacob it, Dylan. Yeah. Right? I, Bob I Dylan's was, son. I, yeah, I had them placed like much further down in the I 90s. did too. Um, sh- one of the, uh, oh, yeah, Black Crow's second album, so Southern Harmony. Right. Awesome. I love that album. And two of the my most favorite albums from this era, um, Faith No More's second one, Angel Dust. Very good album. And uh, Sugar's Copper Blue. Oh, I like that album, Man, too. That, that album. Bob Mould's great live. That album fucks. Yeah, we saw him yep. come in the, the other time. And then you had, in, in September alone, you've got Sugar Copper Blue, Nine Inch Nails Broken, Stone Temple Pilots Core, Alice in Change Dirt, and then in November, Rage Against the Machine comes out with their debut album. And then the verb. There was a lot happening. That's a lot. And we don't even gotten to 1991, which we'll do in another pod, but that's a ton. That's yeah. like a bulldozer full of awesome music just shoved in your face. Right, right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's begin to peel the layers here. Let's do this. All let's right. Let's do this. I think that kicks us off with our honorable mention. I guess I'll start this time. Uh, and for my honorable mention, I'm going to go back to that facelift album. And the debut or or the the you know, the debut off that album, the first song is a song called "We Die Young." Mm-hmm. 
This is a two and a half minute power song. And this is metal. This is much more metal than it is grunge. It's about as basic a song as you can get. It's repeating power chords, uh, but they really drive it. Staley's vocals are just crisp on this. They, They really have that great wail. And then Cantrell sings the counter vocals during the verses, and, and some of the lyrics are, are tough. You know, bullet seeks the place to bend you over. Cantrell wrote this song after he was riding on a city bus, and he saw kids around the age of 9 or 10 standing on the streets dealing drugs. And right. he, he said the sight of a 10-year-old kid with a beeper and a cell phone dealing drugs equaled we die young. Mm. And so he wrote the song. Mm. Yeah, Cantrell is um, his vocals are really good, and it's missed on a lot of, you know, well, it was missed on me that he was also a vocalist because Slane Staley's like razor blade, you know, sound would cut through all of it, and but you would always hear this, this, this tone of a different voice underneath there. I always thought they were kind of doubling Staley's voice, and then you know you come to find out that it's Cantrell, right? And then when when they're minus Staley and he picks it up, uh, you know, after you know Staley dies. He's a great vocalist. Mm -hmm. He's got a great voice. It's one of the aspects for this band of why they rank so highly for me. Mm. The paired vocals between Staley and Cantrell, and then even after Staley died and they picked up William Duvall, who was a fantastic replacement for Lane Staley, uh, their harmonies are really well-written, and they're incredibly haunting. Tough to do. You know, there's... It's just something that is so unique to Alice in Chains. Look at the lyrics of... Every one of the, his songs, whether it's Cantrell writing them or Staley writing them, because those are the only ones sure. that, that, that wrote the lyrics, they don't mince words. No. They don't mince words at all. They, they drive it right, home. <laughs> they think them right out for you. And that's really um, that's really one of the other acts. I got three aspects here of why this band ranks so well, and that's the second one, or the lyrics are incredible. You're never sure if Lane Staley is going to live through the song. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. You're just, you <laughs> just, really is. you don't know what's going to happen. And it's just so so good. I think that's that's that hits it right there because I've always been trying to put a finger on like why it's like that's it right there. You, you're not really sure if this fucker is going to make it through the song, right? Because he's so strained, so exhausted, yeah. so tortured, oh. so all of these things. Like, oh, he's been put through a meat grinder by this. Yeah. Thing. And then the the third aspect of them that I like is that the the power chords don't just feel like noise. They they drive the songs, but they don't crush them. Mm-hmm. They uh, you know the vocals are higher up in the mix, and they really are the centerpiece what's uh, of what the songs are doing. Uh, and the guitar work is just kind of laying this foundation below them. And they are basic, simple power chords, mm-hmm. but they really they really drive the music in a in a direction that works. Yeah, better than like metal to me has always been like like I said, Metallica for me is about as metal as I get. Metallica is very fast power chords. That's their music. That's their style, and it's good for them. This is not that. No, this is not that. This is like employed like what you say, driving like like right. hammers pounding a nail. Right, and and Staley's vocals are near operatic. If you could mm-hmm. if you could call an opera singer, you know, with that level of voice. Yeah. All right. What you sure. got for your honorable mention? <laughs> Um, so my honorable mention uh, reaches to a uh, solo project that Staley did after they were pretty much done. They were in between Jar of Flies and Alice in Chains, and he hooked up with uh, Mike McCready from Pearl Jam and I want to say the drummer from Screaming Trees. That's correct. And uh, they put out one album, Mad Season was the band's name in 1995. The River of Deceit is uh, my honorable mention. I could either burn. I love that song. Yeah. I really, really enjoy it. In fact, uh, over the last week, I got a chance to sort of reacquaint 
with that album, and that album is superb. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of songs on there that are just dynamite. The thing about this whole people ask was why why grunge and you're getting sick and tired of grunge and it's so in your face. It's like there was so much talent. The thing like when the single soundtrack came out right before no just June sorry June of ninety two the single soundtrack came out that kind of blew me away I was all over the map with that single soundtrack just put it right in front of me it's like here here's the roadmap right now go do your research yeah go sniff around these go guys. sniff around because you haven't heard a band named Mother Love Bone yet all right my number five I'm going to the album the first album that they put out with William Duvall mm-hmm. as the lead singer. And the song is Check My Brain. When she sang, I answered the call. Oh, yeah. Somebody check my brain. California's alright. Somebody check my brain. I don't think these guys could have found a better replacement for Lane Staley than William Duvall. Yeah, he's great. His his vocal pairing with Cantrell mm-hmm. is a perfect match, and they sing in harmony throughout this song, and it really fits so well. He's not trying to duplicate Lane Staley's no. sound. He's brought his own voice to the band, and it fits just perfectly. And it still has the same grit that Staley had, but it's not like, you know, the Filipino guy doing Journey. Like, this is, he's doing his own thing, and it just, it's so good. Yeah, and um, I love the chorus on that. Such a cool kind of, um, the harmonies with the two voices. It's really, it's really a great song. And and Duval, I agree, man. He's like, he's not out there trying to do a Lane Staley impersonation. When he sings those old Allison Chain songs, there is a difference, but it's not, it's not a difference like, oh, that's no good. That's a difference like, oh, that's a different, okay. Yeah, I'm still, it's still a great song. It still sounds good. Yeah, yeah. All right, what you got for number five? I'm off the same album for my number five. Um, I just went, um, my number five off of that same album was uh, Black Gives Way to Blue. Curtains around now, it's done. Heavy tune, man. <laughs> very, very Cantrell's. sort of moody groove on that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting. I didn't even know this, but like Elton John plays the keyboards on that. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that either. <laughs> right? It's like, that's an odd pairing. <laughs> Was he wearing the duck outfit? Because <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> it's a compilation of that and Crocodile Rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when black was blue. <laughs> hey, if anything would pull it off, Elton John. Can I pull agree. It off. Um. <laughs> All right, that brings me to my number four, which is "Damn That River." <laughs> The reason why Gantrell wrote this song is because him and Sean Kinney, yeah, the, the drummer, drummer, had a fight, and Sean Kinney broke a coffee table over his head. 
and he put him in it like and then somebody came in and put um Cantrell into a different room to calm him down and keep him from killing each other and he wrote that song. he wrote the song then so the snake that I would trample is so I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I like this song you know this yeah. is a song that if if you're in a mood to get a little hostility out this will do it especially with the stereo jack to 11 yeah it's quick it only lasts about three minutes uh, opens with the guitar and bass running the same lines in unison, which always works for me. It can, it can, any song I hear that in, for some reason, I'm like, ooh, there, there's something about that groove that, that really works. This is the song that introduced me to drop D tuning in guitar playing. You take the, high, the, the, the low E string, which is the lowest sounding one, and you drop it down a tone to D. Right. And so then it becomes basically, in effect, your bass string. Right. So when you double it with a bass running the same line, it gets you a lot of testosterone. Oh, yeah, it really moves. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of Jerry Cantrell's guitar solo in this, especially mm-hmm. with what the drums and the bass are doing in the background. I just think it really works. It's, it's it's an adrenaline rush. Yes, like it's like straight, and I think that's kind of like he alluded to. It's like he structured this album to be kind of that. It's an adrenaline rush, and in the middle, it's like I'm fucked, mm-hmm. and and in the end, it's I can't get out. Yeah, so that's a strike to the heart. Yeah, yeah. All right, what you got for number four? Uh, number four, I'm going to facelift. I can't remember. Keep it on The story that this tells is just, it starts out like, just, he tells, basically he's telling you his biography. This is a biographical story, in my mind. And, you know, the, the theme of the song is like, I can't remember like, yeah. why I'm doing this, why, and just, but here you go. This yeah. is what I do. This is what I'm up to. This, um, this is what's happening with mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And this is not the song, uh, but I don't know if it's going to come up. But like, it's the same. It's around the same song selection of facelift in here. There's a one song um, I uh, uh, bleed the freak. It's not. <laughs> yes. a, is that on your list? No. Okay. But it was swimming in the in the, in the shallow are. waters for it. They are. The line, "I'll pluck out thine eye," <laughs> always got me. Yes. Man, it was such a funny line. It's yeah. Like, I'll pluck out thine eye. <laughs> There's a couple of, of lyrical nuggets in their catalog that are just superb. The uh, but you mentioned it. It's like of all the, the songs been surrounding us. It's like facelift, sap, dirt, and jar flies. Nearly batting a thousand. Yes, yes. There's, and there's there's one or two that that we'll probably bring up that'll yeah. you know kind of knock them off the perfect album pedestal. But uh, I agree. There are just. Uh, out of those catalogs, you have you have batted nine hundred and ninety nine, yeah, yeah, which is a pretty average. damn good average. Fucking great, yeah. yeah. Anyhow, yeah. go ahead. My number three, uh, I loved Jar of Flies. That was their EP release after the album Dirt. The whole <laughs> the zig when everyone else zags Rush fan in me, as you've so duly noted, <laughs> so duly noted in a previous episode, hates to do this since. There are so many good songs off of this album, but I love the lead single from this EP, which is No Excuses. Laying low, 
This was a number one hit for them, and maybe because that's the song fit so much more into a grunge category than their previous heavy stuff, I'm not sure. There's something about this song that just speaks to me on, on, on a number of levels. During the verses, the drums are playing an almost African rhythm. Yeah. You know, it's he adds a couple of extra tom hits that gives it an almost like a samba feel. Mm-hmm. And Staley and Cantrell sing in unison throughout the entire song, and their harmonies are brilliant. Perfect. And we, we were just talking about lyrics. There's a lyric in here that says, You, my friend, I will defend, and if we change, well, I'll love you anyway. You, my friend. I hope everybody has a friendship in their lives where those lyrics mean something because it's incredibly poignant. I mean, it really just strikes through the heart. Amazing, amazing song. It's the rawest lyrics. We talked about metal lyrics as being like really super heavy and like you have no idea how dark, you know, these lyrics can go. These are raw, pure raw human emotion that you can touch and feel. Like yeah. you can put in your your like it's tactile. Yeah, I, I know that there are metal bands out there that are you know talking about you know stripping flesh from your. Oh, by the way, he does also say I want to strip the flesh from your. He does say <laughs> yes. that. Um, he wrote the song about Staley. Yes, it's yes. Cantrell writing about his relationship with Staley and yes. their friendship and the challenges that that existed and and mm-hmm. that's why that line is so poignant to me. You know, it's. Heavy. Things are going to change, and, and it, it, that doesn't matter. I'm still going to love you. That, yeah. That's an amazing, an amazing emotion to, you know, to put forth. Yeah, and then every the guy you're talking about, like, record it, like, yeah, sing it, right? Like, right. I, I don't think it was missed on him either. They uh, they wrote and recorded the whole album in one week. Right. They, they I remember a story. Didn't they have to fly like a string orchestra in? Like, I wanted to say. They, I don't know. I didn't see that. You know, something like that. But anyhow, yeah. It was, I'm, if they said it, you know, it would have taken six months to write and get that on tape, I would have believed it because right. a week is crazy. None of these guys were clean when that album was cut. No. So you've got four heroin addicts writing and recording music in a week. That's yeah. just, that's crazy. I mean, it took the Stones like three years to get their shit together for a night and they're all strung <laughs> out. But I mean, it's like, is Mick up yet? No. <laughs> no. How all about right. Keith? <laughs> Fuck, how are we going to put this goddamn thing together? <laughs> Just go put his hands on the guitar. We'll That's right. We'll, we'll tell got. him he played. <laughs> All right, what you got for number three? It is the real thing. It's a conversation with a junkie. And like it's a one-sided conversation with a junkie. A difficult conversation. Yeah. It's yeah, it's heavy. Yes. So and it's like but it, the the music that that kind of, you know, cloaks that story. It's it's infectious. It's really like groovy and yeah. like it's tough to talk about. It is. <laughs> it is. You know, there's something about these guys that draw emotion out of you, especially when you've been <laughs> living living in their catalog for the last week. And yeah, I found this really hard. To yeah, go. I had to put it down and go back to it, and I'm like, man, okay. We were in different mindsets back then. Yes, way different mindsets. Yeah, you know, and and uh, we keep reminding ourselves of that. <laughs> nothing like tearing scabs off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, cool stuff. All right, that brings us to our fantasy concert lineup. Let's do it. I think I'd like to see these guys with uh, with living color. Ooh. Give me a little cult of personality. Mm-hmm. 
That that solo on that song. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. How those guys didn't go farther and do more, I don't understand. The rest of that album was okay. Yeah. You know, there was a, a song or two on there that was okay. Like, yeah. They wrote an absolute gem with that song. Yeah. And then drove the truck off the face of the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> they had the open letter to a landlord. Yeah, that was <laughs> a little odd. Uh, and then I want to see Audio Slave. Okay. Show Me How to Live. Yeah. I think Cornell, what they did, what he did with Audio Slave, I think that would really fit well with Alice in Chains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going for a full day festival. Ooh, I right. want you in uh, early. We're gonna see <laughs> Mother Love Bone. Nice. their only album but it's a fucking killer album t to b (laughs) t to b (laughs) and then we're gonna switch sets up really quick and bring in temple of the dog right do their album Mm -hmm. which is another killer album And then bring on Alice in Chains to do, you know, their four, basically their four first four albums. It's, uh, yeah, it'll be a festival. Yeah. And then we're going to have to like to go to Great America or Disneyland for the next four <laughs> fucking weeks because. <laughs> Drink a lot of water. <laughs> yeah. You just need to, you need a lift. You just need a lift. <laughs> All right. That brings us to number two. My number two, I'm going back to dirt. I'm going with wood. I did not realize this. Maybe you'll tell me. It's about Andrew Wood. Right. It's about Andrew Wood, who died from a a heroin overdose. Mm. Uh, Andrew Wood from Mother Love Bone. They called it Wood. They spelled it differently, but... uh, Yeah, that's that's what threw me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm like, hmm. And then I'm like, oh, well, shit, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. This song is all in the rhythm section, right? It starts with the bass line. Uh, that drives it, and then the drums kick in, and they never really change from the verses to the chorus, and they're just super heavy on the on the toms, and it I like the way it works. Yeah, layered vocals in the verses, short song, three and a half minutes. Uh, as you said, it was part of the single soundtrack, which I think it's probably one of the best movie soundtracks out there. I couldn't tell you squat about the film. I think I've I've seen it probably twice. I have no real memory of the movie, but I remember the soundtrack like yeah. it was, you know, yesterday. Yeah. 
it opened up so many doors for me musically because I was basically you know when Nirvana and Pearl Jam came out in 91 it's like okay this is new and I like it I'm in, I'm in for it I love it I love it I love it and then singles came out and they're like holy shit there's a whole universe of this new music out there and I was still kind of you know one foot into the hair metal scene one foot into the uh, you know the new Seattle sound and then singles came out and you're like okay you, what are you Smashing Pumpkins is from here right. let's, let's go see that right like, that's that's uh, yeah that's cool shit uh, and you, you talk about some of the, the, you know, that song being about Andrew Wood. And I, I don't think we want to go super deep here, but the, the grunge opioid legacy is nothing short of, of astonishing. Stunning. Lane Staley, 34. Mike Starr died at 44. That's half of this band. Mm-hmm. Andrew Wood, Mother Love Bone, died at 24. Mm-hmm. Cobain, 27. Cornell, 52. Wyland, 48. Shannon Hoon of Blind Melon, 28. I mean, just over and over and over and over again yeah. really really difficult yeah. really hard and so. and here's Eddie Vedder sitting in the middle of all mm-hmm. of it just watching you know Eddie Vedder and McCready and Stone and all yeah. those guys from Pearl Jam just sitting around just like man that's gotta be that's just a spooky fucking feeling like, it's gotta be horrible to watch these terrible, guys that right? were your your you yeah. know, compatriots go and, down and I think that you see the same kind of thing repeat itself almost in you know we were talking earlier about the, the music of the 60s late 60s and late 70s you, you do have tragic deaths Absolutely. early of your stars mm-hmm. you know, largely from fucking heroin sure like you know and uh, you know Hendrix and Janice and Keith and right. you know it's like so you do that does repeat itself yes here it just you know as I always tell my students history doesn't repeat itself but it echoes right I like that. <laughs> All right, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is Junkhead. I had that. I had that just barely coming mm-hmm. up, and I, I decided to pull it off. I, I love this song. It, I do. That, that, I think that's like because when when you listen to it, like now we're talking about, we did listen to this with a gang of people. Also, like this was one of those albums that you listen to on your own, right? When you're feeling especially edgy, um, and or you know when it, like you're at a party at, or you know you're just hanging out with your, your your mates, like it was also on too. And this song in particular is like. You know, his lyric, you know, we aren't any, we are an elite race of our own, the stoners, the junkies, and the freaks. Yes. I'm like, I'm home. I'm home, Papa. Nothing better than a dealer who's high. I, exactly. And and so we are talking about, like, how the unintended consequences of emulating his behavior, and that's nothing he didn't want. Not to say that we were emulating that specific behavior. No. But, but doing so in, in other ways. We're edgy enough. Sure. We're getting there. Yeah, you know, I mean. And, and that that tune and that that whole thing just kind of spoke to to me anyhow and i think that you know a yeah. lot of us kind of felt the same way it's absolutely like, nothing better than a dealer's high i you know i understand what you're talking about i think you can you can apply that to any substance legal or not yeah yeah for sure all right that brings us to our number one and i'm curious did we fall on the same one i don't know there's so many tunes there's out a there. lot out but there but i do want to broach one topic here I have right here, it's like, let's have a conversation. Should the whole Dirt album go in the Pantheon? I think you could argue that, yeah, for sure. It's for a sure. special, different album. It is. For, for me, I think for you as well. I agree. Just like the end was, you know, for both of us, right. like in the Pantheon. I think Dirt deserves- The end by the doors. Yeah. I, no, I think that's an interesting, certainly an interesting conversation. What I'd be curious to know is, would our- 17-year-old sons if they were given this album today and played it what would the what would the impact be on on a, on a kid today versus someone that was and we were a little older than that when this album came out yeah. but 
what kind of an impact would this album have on them? I have a feeling it probably wouldn't register. I think they're just in a different mindset. I also think there's a different style of music out there that that certainly both of our boys are interested in. This may not necessarily fall within that realm. It might glance off them. If you gave them the lyric sheet, kind of like say, here, listen to the music and, and li- read the lyrics, because to be honest with you, and I'm a lyric kind of guy, like mm-hmm. I, I remember lyrics a lot. And so for whatever reason, like I kind of know you know, the, the lyrics, but I don't know them all because I read them and I'm like, well, I don't remember ever singing along <laughs> yeah. like that with those lyrics. A couple of them like, surprised me too. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what was I singing about? Okay. <laughs> All right. So, but if you gave them the lyric sheet, I think they would come away with this understanding. Is like this guy's fucked up. Yeah, and he was a hell of a poet. Yeah, they were hell of a poets. Yes. I, you know, a lot of the co-writing here was Cantrell and Staley. Mm-hmm. I think Cantrell carried a lion's share. Yeah, if you look at some of the credits over the course of you know albums, but Staley's got credits too, and and I wasn't mm-hmm. always able to find out if you know a lyrical credit was necessarily one or the other. Sometimes it was more of a generalized credit. So. I think they would walk away like getting the cautionary tale. Yeah. That would be my hope. I would hope so <laughs> that too. Would be my hope. I would hope so too. That would be that would not be my hope to be like, that's cool. Let's emulate. Like right. we, yeah, we didn't really have that guidance. No, no. But who does? Right. You know who does when right. you're that, that age. Um I think that's kind of like we've talked about this several times before. The danger of rock and roll is what attracts us to sure. it. And this was probably really some edgy. of the most yeah. dangerous yes. rock and roll that I ever got into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right, my number one Go ahead. is The Rooster. Oh, all right. Yeah, here come The Rooster. Fantastic lyrics. Such a great, great story. I'm not a big pro-military guy in any shape or form, but I have always had a place in my heart for Vietnam veterans, uh, due in large part because I've worked with a, a fair number of them over the years, and I've heard their stories, and I've seen what they went through. And There's something about this song that draws empathy for anyone who went through that hell in any war. Staley's vocals are almost incomparable in this song to other songs. And and that's hard to say for him because, you know, he is so good across so many levels of what they did. Right top line of the mix. Right there. Don't miss a word. Front and center. Right. Front and center. And I think they mixed him perfectly. Mm -hmm. Cantrell uses a wah-wah reverb effect on his guitar. And it fits so well, especially in a song that's this heavy. Yeah. It's just not something you really hear in in this kind of heavy music. A couple other odd facts on this song. It was banned from Clear Channel-owned radio stations after September 11th. They said it was inappropriate. Perfectly fits for that conservative. <laughs> I don't... I don't... Yeah, right. Talk about right-wing corporate bullshit. Perfectly happy to send young men off to war. <laughs> But when you come back broken, yeah. we don't want to hear about it. Fuck off. <laughs> we don't want to hear fuck about it. It's probably a product of me not paying attention to the, the liner notes and, you know, just listening to the song. And, and I always was under the impression that the rooster um, was Lane Staley's father. But as it turns out, it's Cantrell's father. Yeah. But I didn't, I wouldn't know that because I didn't bother to do the right, research. Right, right. <laughs> no, it's about Cantrell's father yeah. and, and it's Cantrell's interpretation of what his father experienced during the Vietnam War. And he didn't talk to his dad about it. His dad didn't talk to him about it. And so Cantrell, it sounded like maybe the the home life wasn't a great experience with his dad. And so he he wrote this song as an interpretation of what he believes his father went through. Mm -hmm. And Cantrell played it at a show that his father was at, and it was the only, only show that his father had seen of theirs. Cantrell gave this quote later. He was back there with his big gray Stetson and his cowboy boots. He's a total Oklahoma man. And at the end, he took his hat off and just held it in the air. And he was crying the whole time. And afterwards, his dad told him, quote, he got too close that he hit it on the head. 
Wow. Yeah. There's a in the last verse, the drummer goes into a marching drum snare that I thought was a really really cool aspect of a song about war subtle. and just adding this sort of subtle touch yeah. of the of the snare drum running like that. Great song. Yeah, it is. Walking tall machine gun man. Ah, yeah. Just the man, the lyrics are just mm-hmm. great. Ugh. Yeah, they spit on me in my homeland. Yeah. It's tough. The the like the uh illusions that he is able to conjure is really really that, special especially since he didn't talk to him about it yeah it's really yeah. something yeah it's fucked up what you got for number one my number one is for off the jar of flies album and it is don't follow through it when they break it down and then he kind of goes into his like it's not a rap but it's kind of like a spoken word i have that note here as well it's the the ending where staley raps the lyrics is uh it's a really kind of a cool transition that they come out at the end there yeah yeah that's uh it's always uh jet jar flies album when it came out i was like oh what the fuck this all acoustic you know it was right. very much like the sap ep and i thought that ann hart and chris cornell they might have some of the best backing vocals of all time on those songs mm-hmm. like just the screaming and heard like harmonizing at the higher registers just great stuff like yeah. they really put together a four album package of music that was it's just it's really awesome right, right. it really is it's super heavy though i just could not no. like go ahead with your i think we have another <laughs> a segment to go sure. along with sure all right so that brings us to our most hated this one might hurt you a little bit my most hated is don't follow mm. oh no kidding all it's right. that damned harmonica hey I can't get past the harmonica. I could could do without the harmonica. I think it's actually a really good song until they start playing that fucking harmonica. I don't want to be sitting around a campfire (laughs) in the middle of a mesa listening to this song. And that's what it feels like. It's not even a bluesy harmonica. It's like, like Cookie got off the chuck wagon and started blowing harp. It's the Blazing Saddles when they're sitting around the campfire. More beans, Mr. Taggart. I'd say you had enough. <laughs> it's the same harmonica, though. Yeah. I, no, I kind of almost filter that out through my brain. It's like I'm just paying attention to the guitars and lyrics. And and my note here says Fucking it's too sop. bad because it's great towards the end where Staley raps the lyrics. Yeah. You know, it's it. Uh, oh well. What do you have for most That's hated? Funny. The one I have is Godsmack. I never liked the sound of his voice on this. Yeah, and he's like his voice is almost wiggly. You know, the, the lyrics are fine. The lyrics are very descriptive, but I just didn't know like the way that the lyrics were delivered in that song. And that's really the only criticism I have of it. And I just like, whenever I hear the, the that chunky bass come in and I'm like, oh, this is the one where he fucks with around those lyrics. I skip. <laughs> All right. This ended up being the most difficult category for me. I don't think I've had quite as many and I'm going to have to pare it down, but this is our best four seconds category. So I, I've got a couple. They're kind of like, they're almost all intros of the songs that I'm like, wow, this, like uh, the intro to Grind.
fucking awesome. Yes. I'm not a fan. Like the song is fine, but I just don't go out of my way to hear that song. But when I when I when I skip across it, I'm like, oh right. The first thirty seconds are fucking killer. Yeah. The whole song is really good. It really is, but it takes a long time to get there, and it's like anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right, what else you got? The uh, the opening to Rotten Apple. I had that as well. Right. Inez's big, heavy bass, acoustic bass. Yes. Such a cool sound. Yeah. And he's just twerking that off of uh, the bass guitar. Really cool. Yeah. I had that as well. And I've managed to pare down my list here a little bit so we don't extend this into an hour and a half. Right. And my, my last one is um, the uh, the open for I Stay Away. simple D chord and it's arpeggiated and it just keeps on doing the run it's it's really it's great I'm not a fan of the breakdown they do after the the, the first chorus but yep. it's a small minor detail no that, I'm know. with you I had uh, the chorus in again I bet it really eats you up Leads into these heavy riffs in the falsetto. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I really like that chorus. I also have the love hate love vocals right before he sings love hate love. The end of the song where he just breaks down, just butts out into it. He screams love, hate, love for like 45 seconds. Yeah. And then off of facelift, uh, I can't remember, he hits these crazy high falsettos. Yeah. They're great, and they also had, he also has one of my other favorite lines in there. Not from its poignancy, but "Excuse the tude, but I haven't eaten in days." Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I'm sure it has to do with I haven't eaten in days because of my addiction. Yeah, so it's my probably, eyes are turning gray. Yeah, yeah, it's not a happy song. What's to blame? Excuse the tude. I think that's just well written. Yeah. All right, who's your MVP here? Oh man, Jesus! And I don't want to give it to heroin, but like without heroin, you don't have any of this shit. You don't have this whole fucking section of music. I think that's incredibly appropriate, as inappropriate as as it may seem. We're not giving the MVP to heroin. It's just that without heroin's existence and the devastation that it causes, and the way that rips people apart and fucks everything up. The artists find a way to make something out of it while they're here. No, I'm I'm in agreement, and you know you can argue Staley and Control 
are the are the the, the conduits for that. But mm. really, it was heroin that created this created this mood that created this situation yeah. that they're in. All right, I'm. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you the Steve Perry question this time because I don't think it's possible to slap myself hard enough. It's not appropriate. So, so we'll skip the, <laughs> is Steve Perry better than, than Lane Staley? Can we tell the, the Alice in Chains story, the, the, the live show story? Sure. Our good friend, we already talked about him, Tony, ran the scam of all scams. Unbelievable. Un- Unbelievable. You would never be able to pull this shit off. No. Not today. No. Not with the internet, not with it. I don't know how you pulled it off back then. Balls. <laughs> Brass. <laughs> Him and his cousin got this idea in their head. It's like, well, if we could make up like we're our own PR firm and we have a magazine, a rock magazine, and we all we have to do is contact their PR people, maybe we can, you know, get something going. Because those tickets still at that time, they were hard to get. Sometimes sure. when, when Pearl Jam would come around, they're yeah. fucking hard to get. Yeah. You know, so... And he's so he did it. He just he created a magazine that never got published to my knowledge, no. never fucking even printed a page. But he had, you know, a masthead and fucking <laughs> letterheads that he would type up these. We understand that, you know, one of your clients, Allison Change, is in town, and, you know, here's our magazine's name. Um, these are our reporters and photographers. Can we get access to your band? And they got it. And they fucking got it. Like now, Tony has always been like, you know, the kid is like, oh no, we're going to go to the Van Halen show. We're going the, the nineteen, uh, the fifty one fifty tour. We're going. We have backstage passes. And by that time, like through all throughout high school, I'm like, all right, okay, all right. So I went to college with him, but we were, you know, across campus. We rarely saw each other, but I would keep in touch with him. And, and he's like, yeah, man, I'm I'm doing this thing. I got I got photo press passes for the Allison Chain show, and I'm like, oh. That's that's great. It's same same thing with the backstage pass for fifty one fifty, right? And he's like, Yeah, no, I'll 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 look for you. I'm like, You do that. <laughs> you look for me. <laughs> so at the end of the show, as the ballroom is is clearing out, I'm like, This is this motherfucker here? And in front of the stage there is like a roped off section for press. And there's fucking Tony who's sitting there <laughs> with his mom's like flash cube <laughs> camera. Instamatic camera. And he's inside the fucking ropes. And I make a beeline to him. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's like, I told you I had press passes. And he swang the press pass in front of me. Allison Chains, Dirt Tour, press. And then it has a sticker that says photo. <laughs> What the fuck? It's the scam of a century. He has the most unbelievable pictures of that time. He's got a picture of Eddie Vedder where he is sitting at Eddie's feet. Eddie is is on the stage and he's got the picture going straight up Eddie's mic stand. It's unreal. Yeah. The Lane Staley picture he has is like his face was through the fucking cargo net. It's <laughs> like in your face. It's like, what? you'd sell those to Rolling Stone. You'd get paid a fortune for them. There were great shots off these shitty flash cube fucking camera. <laughs> well, we'll see uh, if he can't get us some of those. We can maybe throw those up on uh, on some of our social media. Unbelievable. Here's yeah. the other crazy thing. They contacted Rage Against the Machine. Now, Rage Against the Machine hadn't popped off yet. <laughs> but they knew that Tom Rello was from this area. So they create, they contacted Rage's uh, people and they said, well, he's getting ready to set for this new tour for the new album they're about to drop, but his mom is available. <laughs> and he's like, this fuck it, let's interview the mom. And they're like, <laughs> and they did. They, they fucking went to her house. I believe she lived in Lombard at the time. She had him over. Made she made him dinner, dinner. Made him dinner. Sitting out in the driveway, talking about what you know, what a groovy cat Tom is, and she's groovy herself. And they do this whole fucking interview, and I'm like, what? <laughs> what? You interview Tom Rollo's yeah. mom? Why are there two 18 year olds sitting yeah, in my mom's kitchen with an Instamatic camera? They ran this scam for I want to say like 12 months, and they got incredible access. And of course, not didn't have to pay for it. Nope, just nothing you know, like free concerts in the front row. All right, that brings us to our rankings. Oh, actually, hold on, I missed one. Sisters of Mercy. Do you want more? No, I can't handle it. Uh, it's just too much for me. <laughs> you know what? I, I dug into some more of the Mad Season, and I dropped a few of those on my on my playlist. All right, let's go to our rankings. Okay. 
Um, for catalog, these guys, like we, we mentioned it before, these guys were batting nearly a thousand on their on their stuff. So I gave them a, a four for their catalog. I had them at a four as well for the exact same reason. You know, they went from metal like facelift to heavy grunge like dirt. And then they drop into a groove grunge like Jar of Flies. Mm-hmm. And All that acoustic. versatility yeah. is fantastic. I, the AIC album, the, self, or the, the self-titled album, no. And Unplugged, I hate anything Unplugged. I don't know why. It yeah. just rubs me in the wrong direction. Yeah, it's like their greatest hits album. You know, yeah, really just in, in a bad one. Yeah. Um, their artistry I have at a three and a half, three point five. 3.5. Um, their lyrics are great arts. Um, it's... Yeah, it's it's good. It's better than most. Better than most, um, you know, above average. I had him at three point eight. Staley and Cantrell are really, really talented. The bass and drums are pretty, pretty average. Like you yeah. can you can plug and play just about anybody into those. But Cantrell's writing and his guitar mm-hmm. and Staley's lyrics, fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Image. Yeah, Image was tough, man. Is this a cool band? Uh, man, I don't know. I dropped these guys, and I had the same wrestling match with this, mm-hmm. and I had to look at it from the image that I had of them. And that's what I ended up doing, was looking at looking at them as what their image was to me back in that yeah. day. Okay. And I put them at a 4-2. I thought these guys were the shit. Uh, yes. and I agree you know, with that. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Because I have them at a 3 uh, but I'm at you know at a 48 year old man. Yeah, like yeah. there are three. They're really good. They're really. But are they cool? No, not to a 48 year old man. To a 20 year old young man. Yeah, like as you said, they're the shit. Yeah, I I agree. You know, the, the scores would know, be. We didn't know how it was going to end. For right, them. right, right. And so, or, like and we, so many others. Right? right, exactly. We we thought like, ooh, that's close. Get the flame as close as you can to your face. Ooh, that's cool. I like that. Okay, yeah. take me even closer. And then we didn't know how it was going to fucking end. Right. And it did. Right. Yeah, there's definitely two different scores there, today's mm-hmm. perspective and back then. All right, that wraps it up for it this up. episode of Alice in Chains. <laughs> this episode of Two Idiots in a List. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll come back at you here soon with another one. <laughs>